Joining our series on this episode of our podcast are Shabelle Hazuri and Anthony L. Hazuri, joint founders and directors of Revelop. Revelop is an independent, privately owned property development business which specialises in the development, acquisition and ownership of assets across the commercial, residential and retail real estate sectors. Launched in 2008, the company has established a substantial portfolio of over 50 properties spread throughout New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia, comprising over 1,000 tenants and some 250,000 square metres in Lettable area. With a future development portfolio in excess of over $1 billion in value, Revelop has become one of the country's most active property groups, having outlaid significant capital this year for opportunities in both New South Wales and South Australia. Today's discussion will explore the background of the business, the fundamentals it analyses in acquiring and operating assets, current market dynamics, and the defining trends that will shape future growth prospects. Charbel, Anthony, welcome to the program, and it's a pleasure to be speaking with you both this morning. For context, I thought we'd begin by briefly discussing the background of the business. Anthony, take me through the history of the Revelop business and the opportunity you saw at the time back in 2008 to launch your own firm. Thank you. Yes, um, well, when we started, we started off, Charbel and I, um, with you know, very humble beginnings in uh, doing renovations and smaller residential projects. At the time, we had uh, started our Bachelor of Property Economics at um, University of Technology in Sydney, and we were looking to pretty much branch out into doing our own thing. We both had you know, jobs of our own um, where we were you know, doing the normal commercial real estate or, or, or um, administration sort of roles, and we sort of saw a bigger and better future for ourselves. So we looked at it and said, now it's probably not a bad time because there was opportunities in 2008. Um, whilst the market wasn't strong or or buoyant or anything like that, those negative or those negative times where people are a little bit more gun shy open up opportunities for better deals to be done. So at the time, um, we were both in uni, uh, both still living at home, and um, so it gave us the opportunity to to, to be a bit bullish. Um, so we started off doing the residential renovations and construction um, and and yeah being very hands-on as we still are and we then we said look you know we're going to move whatever money we get we can put it into our own developments our own projects our own sites so that we you know the working for third-party contractors etc was a means to an end and that's what we did um, very very early on undertook a really good deals where we bought options to purchase and um, and things like that in in, in the in the Western Sydney market and, um, and and basically have never looked back since. And 2008, whilst everyone was, I guess, hurting from a downturn, we took that as an opportunity because we had we had no skin in the game at the time and there was no downturn for us. So it was just opportunity and capitalising on opportunity. And that's where we stand pretty much from, from there till today, where we've diversified across um, across multiple different areas. I'm interested to get a gauge on the growth of the business over the course of the past decade or so. Chabelle, walk me through the initial projects the company undertook and then how you've been able to scale your operations since those initial years. Thank you, Rob. Um, mate, as, as Anthony mentioned, uh, we did start initially when we were in university. It was, we, we had quite an interesting uh, business philosophy when we started. It was all about any opportunity was a real opportunity. I think... Uh, it was also working with the right right individuals and building the right relationships so we can, um, I guess, build this business. 
me and Anthony always loved property. We loved everything to do with property. We kind of looked at the market and said, where, where was there opportunity? Uh, when we started 2008, there was a lot of residential development, a lot of apartment development. We loved doing the residential and the apartment side, but it wasn't our passion. Commercial was always our real passion. And when we started in 2008, it was a real opportunity. We looked at childcare centres and our philosophy was always to build a cash flow model business where we could develop property and then move those funds into cash flow assets that could ultimately help us build this business into what it is today. So Anthony had a phenomenal development background and loved everything to do with development, working with council, of working and reading the DCPs and LEPs and finding out the loopholes and also opportunity in every property would find. And then once it's once the opportunity was there, we either sold on the development and then reinvested that back into a cash flow asset while still uh, building the development side of the business. I guess initially it was always about finding the right opportunity in the market. And that was childcare's boarding houses and then eventually led to retail shopping centres and office buildings that we're currently doing at the moment. Anthony, in terms of Revelop's development philosophy, what guides are you thinking in this regard and has this changed any way over the years? Yeah, so look, our philosophy has always been about doing things differently. So trying to take on the things that other people don't want to, the developments that are tricky or convoluted or can take time in councils or often lead to land and environment court appeals um, because that's where we find the greatest amount of gain. Um, it's the stuff that no one else wants to do. It's the, where you've got to get down and dirty in the planning system and really actually get to the bottom of you know what can work and how can it work. And the perfect example of that will be you know your boarding houses. Um, it's got a really ne- or had a really negative stigma around it. Not a lot of people would bother doing those sort of projects, uh, but we did, and we we did it really well. We actually worked with the government around the uh, affordable housing state environmental planning policy that came out in 2012 around you know what works and what doesn't as part of that affordable housing strategy so our we've always been about taking on the hard projects taking on the things that you know a bit bit interesting bit, bit more convoluted and um and we can really put our own stamp on it and because of that because we've always done the hard stuff we've developed a really positive reputation in the market about being the problem solvers and the ones that can deliver where no one else can. And with the councils and with you know the, the relevant authorities, we've got a great working relationship. And, and, and that basically helps us really know what is possible, what's not, you know, what's something that we're going to get through, what's something that's just going to be a pipe dream um, and, and, and really has driven the way we do things um, across uh, in the last 12 years, but also, you know, into the future and across now three different states. Um, as opposed to what it was you know, 10 years ago where it was limited to a couple of local councils. And then in relation to the company's mandate, Chabelle, give us an insight into how and why the business historically has focused on the commercial and retail sectors as its core focus. It was always built around the cash flow model. So commercial property as a whole always had a more attractive lease structure. The fact that we can get our 10, 20-year lease terms, we can bank on that income. It helps us forecast into the future and also our development plans and our growth plans. There was always that attraction, but it was also built around relationships. The beauty of the retail sector was that if you had the right relationships, retail was a very fun industry to work in. We were able to buy assets where other retail owners struggled because they didn't have enough market share that you could work with a lot of the retailers and tenants to really transform and reposition these assets. And as time grew and more retail centres came on, it became a lot easier and a lot more 
fun to work on. And it was, all, it was everything to do with one, the cash flow side and the stronger covenants and the stronger lease terms, but more importantly, the relationships behind it and us being able to use our specialty with building those relationships and transforming these assets. Before we move on, Anthony, to my knowledge, the business has now delivered over, I think, 100 developments to the market over the course of the past decade. What have been the key learnings during this period and what are the keys to building a successful development or property business? I think the key takeaways are that there's no two developments that are ever the same. Um, so every single project needs to be approached in a very unique way. Yeah, and that's what we do quite well. We basically look at what will work and what won't um, and, and really adapt and look outside the box. So not just look at arcade zoned R4, so it must be a unit site. You know, what are the other things that can be done in that zone that will be a better use for that locality or a better use for our business model um, and really take it from there. So that's that's been a that's been a key driver for us. And then in terms of, you know, overall, in, in the, the, our biggest success has been our relationship. So we've got a great team of architects, great planners, great consultants, and they all come to know how we work and we've learned from them and they've learned from us. Um, and without the team, nothing works. And that goes to our staff as well. We've got a, a great longstanding staff, especially in the planning side of things and the, in the development team. And those are the things that really have driven our success now. And, and you know, we're, we're busier than ever at the moment. You know, we're probably doing about 40, 50 DAs at the one time across multiple sectors and multiple states. So um, it's, it's, all about, it's all about the team and it's all about the right strategy. And it's really about getting it right early on to avoid the long-term delays thereafter. Let's move on and explore the current environment, Chevelle. No doubt it's been an interesting 20 or so months. Take me through what you're seeing across the market in terms of the major trends or patterns that are in play. Good question, Rob. Um, it has been very interesting the last 20 odd months. Um, the biggest trend I saw was confidence in the market was one. When COVID hit, a lot of people... I guess, wanted to sit on their hands and see where the market was going. No one wanted to, I guess, jump on opportunities or look at what was available in the market. We were very active. That was probably one of the greatest opportunity we had. We were world geared and we saw opportunity where these assets were probably never available pre-COVID or would probably never have come up into the market if something like COVID didn't, didn't come, come along. So it was, I guess, the biggest... Uh, the biggest change I saw in the market was people's confidence. And we we also saw that when people saw the trends where, for example, the property market now is quite heated, everyone's kind of jumping back on and wanting to be part of it. And when the market was back in its trough, everyone wanted to be away from it. But if you were working against the trends, you're finding the real opportunity. And that's where we've worked very well. It was always going against what everyone else was doing and the trends in the market. It's very similar with our development philosophy. When people wanted to develop residential, we're focusing on commercial and vice versa. So I guess it's trying to find the niche in the market and the real opportunity to be able to get in and find what can be achieved out of these assets. And Anthony, in terms of the financing environment, how are you finding access to capital at the moment, particularly given record low interest rates and the influx of both institutional and private money that's flowing through the sector? Our model has always been about the focus being on, you know, um, big four bank lending. Um, and because of that, we're seeing, look, for, I guess for us, it's we, we've been able to demonstrate in the last couple of years to the bank how strong our portfolio is. And I think that's been the benefit of the last couple of years is really being able to showcase 
what we've always said, and that is, you know, that our diversification, our type of properties, our mix, our tenant structures, and our business model as a whole is very strong. And COVID's been able to really pressure test that and put on exhibition for you know, our stakeholders and primarily the banks how strong that is. So because of that, the banks have been supportive in, in decisions that we've made recently on acquisitions and, and trying to access further capital for those purposes. So we've, we've been finding it um, that, that, that there's, there's, there's quite a, a significant amount of available funds. Uh, colloquially, we've been seeing a lot of institutional and private money flowing, um, and that's both on the lending side, but also in the acquisition side of the world. And um, that's tightened up the market from a from an acquisitions perspective, but then also um, put some good pressure to lower interest rates um, generally across the finance market as a whole. So because of that, because of that greater availability of funds in various sectors. So it's had some positives and negatives depending on which side you're sitting on. Um, but overall, as I said, you know, there's good money out there and, and I think the money is targeting good, good operators and, and, and good investors that have been able to demonstrate not only with history, but also with the type of structure they've got that uh, they can withstand uh, being built a bit by the market and come out of it with a growth strategy and actually with growth on the other side. As I mentioned in the opening, Revelop has been particularly active over recent years from an acquisition standpoint. Chabelle, talk to me about where you're seeing opportunity in the current market and are there any sectors you're either bullish or bearish on in particular? Um, I mean, I think the rule... To say there's any opportunity in this current market is a hard one. I think it's probably the, the hottest market we've ever seen. A year ago, there was a lot of opportunity in the, in the retail sector. I know there was phenomenal opportunity there. If you were able to pick up a good retail center or any retail asset, uh, there was great buying. We're seeing that's we're seeing some of the strongest cap rates in the market. So I won't say retail is the strongest, uh, or I wouldn't be looking at retail at the moment unless it is good buying or real opportunity. Commercial is probably the next best thing. There's a lot of vacancy at the moment. Uh, vacancy rates have obviously gone up. Incentives have gone up. We're starting to see 30 to 40% incentives in Parramatta in North Sydney, which is phenomenal considering we're sitting at circa 15% pre-COVID. What that means, it's obviously going to lead to a lot more supply. With more supply, you're starting to get your institutional owners and your high net worth privates that want consistent cash flow looking at offloading these assets. So they're... That's somewhere where good opportunity may sit. And more importantly, I think to get these opportunities, it's thought about relationships. It's trying to work with a good network of individuals and real estate agents. Track record's very important. We've, we've performed on every transaction we've ever bought. We've actually performed, I think, on every transaction we've ever put into DD. So we're very strategic about assets we want. But to get the good opportunities, it's all about the right relationships. Letting the agents know that you are in the market, the asset you're after, and Having that constant connection with those agents, if you don't have those relationships, they're always going to forget about you to a certain degree. So constantly being in contact with the agents, constantly telling them what you're after, seeing an asset and approaching them, finding out who's been doing the leasing, which, which uh, company has been working on it and working with them to try and secure an asset. To try and wait for an asset to come online, it's very difficult. And that's what I think Revelop do very well is we buy a lot of our assets off market. We're very strategic with what we want to secure. We try and work against the trends, as I mentioned earlier, with asset classes we're investing in and then working with agents with those relationships to secure them. Because once it goes to market, you're just competing. It gets to a point where the process becomes unattractive. You're, you're, you're just another number in the mix to try and secure it. And then all the negotiating power you've lost. So you want to be able to get yourself in a position that you can get the best outcome at the end. 
And that's all, I guess, built off relationships and your track record as a whole. From a development perspective, Anthony, take me through some of the projects you've got underway in this regard and what are the key trends you're seeing on the ground? So currently across all three states, a lot of our projects are around the uh, greenfield opportunities. So new shopping centres or retail and commercial developments um, in new estates. Um, so you know, Charbel has been quite strategic on acquisitions around town centres um, where essentially we were introducing an amenity at a earlier stage than normal into an estate. Um, so that our development team has been working quite hard on a lot of those greenfield sites across uh, North Coast, South Coast, and New South Wales um, in terms of even into a more metro Sydney. So, and then in obviously in Victoria and in South Australia, then there's the gentrification DAs, which basically take our existing assets and look to whether it's remixing um, aesthetic work, whether it's a structural work, whether it's actually completely rebuilding certain elements of them, all the way through to then, you know, your, your land subdivisions, our boarding houses, childcare centres, and even our residential, um, our residential sort of pipeline is starting to creep up there again. So it's quite multifaceted. Um, it works extremely well. Key trends we're taking out of that at the moment is, unfortunately, things are taking longer. So we've got you know, councils operating on minimum capacities in their offices, and as a lot of people have been working from home, that makes the process a bit more difficult because you know, it's not something that can be organically run as it does when, when council offices are open where everyone's in the same office. And I guess that's a bit of a telltale sign across the, the market generally. Um, having said that, though, the... The, I guess the, the the push on the development front and the, uh, the the desire for councils to receive good income and um, employment generating opportunities through the development sector uh, have been really well received. So when we're putting in DAs for new shopping centres or upgrades to centres, anything that essentially is employment generating, uh, the local governments across all three states have been extremely uh, positive um, and are looking to assist where they can to sort of get those that development pipeline through to the construction phase and really stimulate their local economies as a result of it. So that's been a, a key takeaway, which we're encouraging and we think is really good for us. Shabell, I'm interested to get your perspective on the fundamentals that you consider prior to acquisition. I know that you've picked up or the business has picked up a number of new properties this year, including City Cross in South Australia and the Forest Way Shopping Centre. What do you look for prior to each acquisition? Rob, I think the uh, the biggest thing we look for is opportunity. We don't like the pretty shiny things because we're limited with what we can actually do with it. So Forestway, great example. It was a reposition play. We could go in and use our expertise for the from the development side in terms of repositioning the asset, creating the amenity and what's required for the asset as a whole. That was the real attraction to Forestway. And it was also in a key location with all the right metrics. You had a new hospital that, that had just opened opposite. It was um, immense growth coming into the direct catchment. It had the, the right tenancy mix. It was a pure neighbourhood centre, which is one of our favourite asset class. And it was also being able to take it to the next level. It was one of those assets that kind of sat in limbo for quite a while with different visions from different owners. And we had a clear vision that we wanted to, to create one of the best town centres for that region. And that's built around convenience. And... We didn't deter off that even with the planning and what we've created to date and what we're currently delivering on site. It's just a pure, convenient neighbourhood centre and that was the real passion and the, the real opportunity that ASA had and it's not dissimilar to City Cross as well. You're sitting on one of the 
the most prime land holdings in Adelaide CBD fronting Grenfell Street and Rundamore, but also sitting one of the largest um, opportunities. The fact that the air rights hadn't been explored, there was real opportunity to add further value above, but also improve the asset that currently sat on the, on the land itself. So the biggest things we look for is opportunity and how we can add our value, I'd say. And just on retail as an asset class in general, what do you like about it? Uh, it's rewarding. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it. It's If you've got the right metrics and you have the right relationships, retail can be very rewarding. We're very passionate about focusing on retail as an asset class because we've got great relationships with our tenants. We know that, for example, we could take an asset that was unloved for many years that many other owners have struggled to lease up in the past. And with our network of tenants and relationships we've built over the last 10 years, we could fill that up. I guess a good example is Newton Village that we bought uh, just after... COVID lockdown last year, March last year, we settled on Newton through all of COVID. We managed, and that was in South Australia, we managed to lease up four vacancies. There was 16 vacancies sitting in that centre. We managed to do the complete repositioning and renovation of the internal centre. And now it's, it's a thumping triple supermarket centre, six Ks out from the CBD that's doing phenomenal numbers. And it was that was all achieved within a 12-month period working with our network of tenants that we currently have. Anthony, take me through Revelop's philosophy in determining the optimal tenancy mix across some of those assets that Chabelle mentioned. How do you work out what tenants are going to fit into what centres? I guess the, the most important thing is to take into account who you're trying to service. So each centre has a demographic reach, um, has a socioeconomic reach, um, and has a sort of a, a, an ethnic background reach as well. So looking at where your centre's positioned and who is trying to service, that then dictates, well, all right, what should go here based on that? Um, we often use a, a bit of a sort of inaccurate science, which is a test on ourselves. So especially a lot of the neighbourhood shopping centres we, we work on, they typically are targeting young families um, and, you know, we, we both have young families. So, you know, we typically say, well, what would work for us? Why, why would we come here? Why would our wives come here? Why? What would our kids like to do here? Uh, what would our parents do here? And really sort of take that personal approach around that and, and then say, okay, well, you know, we'd love to see this particular tenant or it needs a supermarket or it needs a DDS um, or it needs this really cool coffee shop or, you know, Shabu will come to me and say, I went to this amazing place today. We have to get it in this particular center. So it's a, it's, it's about getting what you would want because, you know, basically if we're a good litmus test for that. Once you've got that, it's about making sure that your tenants can thrive within that environment. And importantly, it's not cannibalizing a good restaurant or a good cafe just because it's doing well, you know, don't put another one in. And that's been our philosophy all the time. Let everyone make their money in the center. So, you know, if there's a good fruit shop, there doesn't need to be two. If there's a good bakery, there doesn't need to be two. If there's a good nail shop, let it be the only good nail shop, but let it be the best of the best. And and that's the other thing. If you come into one of our centers, there is that confidence that you're not going to get cut down uh, the moment you start making good profit because, you know, unfortunately that's been historically a problem with a lot of major landlords in order to make sure we've got that perfect mix is that if we only have one of something, it's the best of that something. So that makes sure that we're ticking all the boxes for the local market. We're giving them what they want, making sure that, you know, any specialty type uses um, that would work are also there. But importantly with the mix is not just getting them there, it's making sure they can survive and stay there. And 
if they're the right use, then they'll be the only ones within the centre offering that service. And that'll mean that they can capitalise on that on, on, on that level of demand. Um, so that's been ongoing, a very vital aspect. Chabelle, in terms of asset disposal, I understand you've transacted a number of properties in recent years wherein the properties you've sold have traded at a premium to their book value. Are you still seeing investment interest from third parties that are looking at some of the assets within Revelop's portfolio and, and trying to have a, a crack at them? Yeah, we do, and it's uh, pretty well known in the market. We don't like to sell anything. Uh, we love our assets and the amount of hard work each asset takes. We, we we haven't really sold much, but when we do, it is at a premium because we package it to be a, a, a very attractive asset. We tend to have long whales, uh, extended lease terms, amazing covenants, great tenants that are performing well. We'll never let go of an asset unless we've, I guess, explored every opportunity that asset had. And it's only at that point, Anthony and I will discuss and say, well, if there's no additional value we could add, what's the future for the asset? And a lot of the times we hold them and they help us grow our business even further. But when in the, in the odd times when we do decide to offload an asset, we've packaged it in a way that for an institutional owner, it's phenomenal because you've got a long lease uh, covenant to a lot of these national tenants and it's very attractive. They can bank on a lot of this income and we've explored every dollar that could have been um, derived from that property as a whole. Anthony, I should also mention that the business has a solid portfolio of childcare assets. Take me through why this sector appeals to you and what you're seeing across the childcare sector. Well, it's appealing to everyone at the moment, not just us. Um, we got into this market well over 10 years ago, actually. Our first childcare centre that we built and, and leased was in Borkham Hills and 33-place centre. And we've always loved the asset class because it provides for a long lease tenure with typically a, a very strong covenant, even mum and dad covenants, but they, you know, their business is very much intrinsically tied to the asset. So it's not something they can pick up and just move down the road. There's, there's a lot of goodwill tied with the asset. More recently, I think the markets recognised the stability of the asset through the, uh, the uh, ups and downs of COVID. It's heavily subsidised by the government and more so recently, actually, with the announcements of a lot of those subsidies being brought forward to March next year. And then basically with the types of covenants that are now available you know the the the, the, the national brands all holding you know a billion dollar turnover plus the mum and dads um even though the, the, they still have two three four assets their long lease tenure um and they pay their rent on time every time and and they're, they're strong they're strong tenants so i think the market has has really seen the strength of them. And then when you compare them to other asset classes, they ultimately have a very, um, they're very appealing. So these days with the national super, supermarket brands reducing their tenure from what used to be a 20 year tenure to 15 to 12, now to 10, if you're lucky, the childcare sector has gone the other way. The traditional five year lease has now become a 15 or 20 year lease. And because of that, people are starting to realise the benefit of, of that tenure and that certainty and that guarantee of income in perpetuity. And it works for people um, who need a set and forget style asset. Uh, banks are becoming a lot more, you know, a lot, lot more encouraging of, of the asset class. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago it was seen as a going concern. It's now seen as a proper investment class asset. So all those things have sort of culminated to the perfect position now. Um, even, you know, your superannuation funds and your retirees, these things are just perfect assets for the set and forget market. And we're seeing cap rates just absolutely go off a cliff. Um, they've gone from 
averaging five, six percent to now the new norm is the four percent mark and and there's been recent transactions at sub three percent. So they're they're definitely in high demand for reasons, like I said, and we've always loved them and the market's uh I guess starting to agree with us now. I also understand Revelop has been actively involved in recent months in the co-living sector. Chabelle, talk to me about the investment fundamentals of this sector and some of the holdings that you have within this asset class. Yeah, so uh, co-living is an interesting one. So we've always been very active in the boarding house space. It's one of the original assets me and Anthony invested our, our returns into. We've always loved the asset class. It was a great uh, diversification for our portfolio. Um, when we started, we're getting commercial returns for a residential asset, and that was the real attraction with that asset class as boarding houses. And then through time and the growth of the industry and the uh, growth of the, the sector, co-living came about. So when we originally heard about co-living, it was a relationship. We started with Hamlet, which have obviously left the market at the moment. But when they originally came into the Australian market, we were their partner in delivering their key locations and their key sites. So we had a contract to deliver six separate sites or they were in Parramatta, Mays Hill, Valgala, Petersham as key catchment areas surrounded by universities and office, the office sector and the, the working environment. So through that relationship, it brought, brought co-living to us. Uh, that relationship was great when they, were, when they were active in the market and as time came, they decided to leave the market and we, we had these six different assets that we had developed and given to them and put a lot of investment into them. But I think what was unique about Revelop as a whole is we always used to manage our own assets and we still manage our own assets. So our current boarding house portfolio, we manage internally. All our retail centres and childcare assets are all managed in-house. So we always had the infrastructure in place to, to take on that co-living sector when Hamlet exited the market. And it kind of allowed us to capitalise on that opportunity. All of these assets were leased, they had phenomenal returns. It was being able to move in at a very quick rate with the team that we had. And it was a quick, a quick and easy transition for the current tenants to go from Hamlet to WeHome, which was a new entity Revelop set up to continue the co-living space. And it, for us, it was all about diversifying our portfolio and the fact that we had a big chunk in the boarding house sector, the co-living was a good complement to, um, to that part of our portfolio. In closing out our discussion, one of the key trends across the property industry and, and the broader industry is sustainability, particularly with reference to building design, building management and construction practices. Anthony, give us an insight into how important this is both within the business, but also in terms of attracting tenants, whether they be government tenants or business tenants. I think sustainability has become a key part of any industry. I think there's a level of social responsibility that comes with the delivery of new new product um, or new real estate into the market, and or any any management or anything that we we, we run. Whether there was a lot of I guess there was a lot of focus on sustainability in the office market. NABHERS was a great example of when that came out. That was predominantly in the the, the office market, and that's now been extended generally across. Uh, multiple sectors. Um, we've taken advantage of that in recent times um, across our retail portfolio and making sure that we're targeting six-star neighbourhoods, but also um, as a minimum five-star ratings across the portfolio, which we've achieved now. But I think beyond that, there's also people are starting to realise that with sustainability, with efficiency comes 
comes a lot of cost savings um, and in terms of the long-term management of property. And, and it's not such a encumbersome exercise to implement the right energy and social efficiencies and, and, and the right sustainability measures into buildings, as long as they're designed in properly. And, and that comes in working with the right team, you know, working with people that understand um, how to passively deal with sustainability and efficiency as opposed to it being this big capital outlay in the beginning. If you do it right, you design it in right, the buildability of it is extremely simple these days. You then get to the point of the management of it and that's where you start seeing the returns because you start seeing the benefits of the decentralised AC systems, the the, the you know the, the more energy and water efficient uh, mechanisms that are put into these buildings, and, and they translate to not only benefits for the environment generally, but also benefits for the um, the bottom line for each of those assets. And as we all know, the outgoings are a key factor of whether or not assets are profitable. And again, that translates to value. So. You know, sustainable and well-designed and efficient buildings are worth more money at the end of the day, and I think the market's starting to appreciate that. When it comes to the, the, the with tenant relationships, um, you know, we're starting to see a lot of that. Not just with uh, government tenants; they've traditionally been the ones that have pushed sustainability the most. But with larger nationals, you know, whether it's your supermarkets, your banks, they're all looking to be part of an environment which is sustainable um, and socially aware and energy efficient. Um, and that's become a key driver in our negotiations with them, whether it's including solar panels, um, whether it's water efficiency, whether it's a minimum NABHERS or Green Star rating for a particular building that they're gonna that they're gonna be part of. Um, that's becoming a key driver. And, and we're starting to see that even in the 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 the, the more smaller tenancy mixes that we're getting or tenancy types, people are aware and people realize that now it's not only um, a re our responsibility to deliver such products, but it's also not too difficult to do so. And there's a absolutely a financial bottom line um, that is that that that's very clearly evident. I mentioned in the opening that the majority of assets the business is in control of are in New South Wales. But also more recently, I note that you've had a number of acquisitions in Victoria and South Australia. Chabelle, take me through why these markets appeal to you and where you see the next phase of growth from a geographic perspective coming from. I think what brought uh, South Australia about was opportunity. Uh, Melbourne, similar as well. Uh, there was some good opportunity. It's a very tightly held market in, in Victoria and I guess probably even stronger than the New South Wales market. So we haven't been able to crack that too much. But South Australia, when we started in 2007, was all about opportunity. We, we managed to go into a market where retail was struggling. There wasn't as much interest in South Australia as a whole. A lot of the assets that we were buying and investing in were held by privates. A lot of the assets in South Australia are held by privates and private families, and they tend to hold on to their assets for a long time. And those opportunities weren't available. But... Over recent years, they did become available. We saw that going in there and doing doing things slightly different, like we did at Newton Village, where we could go on a more of a relationship approach and going in and repositioning these assets that were owned for owned by privates for 20, 30 years and kind of sat stagnant in that point where they're not sure if they should reposition it, what the tenancy mix should be like, and they're kind of stuck on their overall approach. It allowed us to come in with a different vision and reposition and transform the assets. So, yeah, I'd say South Australia was brought about purely by opportunity. Melbourne was because we've always loved the Melbourne market and Victoria market like New South Wales, but we do find it very difficult. And you, and I guess what 
forced us to, to leave New South Wales as a whole was how tightly held New South Wales had gotten and the cap rates and the pricing New South Wales was sitting at. When we exited New South Wales and not exited, when we looked at other opportunities outside of New South Wales, we were seeing cap rates of 7 8% in South Australia, which we thought was phenomenal. And the same asset in New South Wales was sitting at 5%. Fast forward three years, four years, the cap rates in South Australia now sitting at the same rate as New South Wales. So it allowed us to get in at a perfect time and, and actually capitalise on that growth in the market and the investment that South Australia as a whole has received over the last three to four years with a lot of the institutional owners and government agencies looking at South Australia as a real player in the, um, in the office sector and the real as, in the state as a whole. And Anthony, my final question is, what does the next five years look like for the business? Well, if it's anything like the last five years, it's going to be extremely busy um, and it's going to be uh, some meritorious growth. Shabla and I have been very bullish in terms of our, our projections. We think there's still a lot of um, a lot of growth in the market, especially around the South Australian market, um, with all the key investments coming in. So for us, it would be for on a developed scale, it's going to be continued investment into key locations, especially around the neighbourhood centres, especially around office and key locations, um, and then you know, continuing to build up our, our, I guess, our base, which which is our childcares and boarding house um, sectors. Um, the residential market has a place and we think that, that that'll be something that we increase our pipeline in, especially around the land subdivisions um, in the growth centres as well, because that's just always got a very strong flavour to it at the moment. But as a business as a whole, it is it is all it is still in the growth phase. Uh, we've been we've been very lucky in the last five years to have some really considerable growth, but we see that continuing at the same pace, if not stronger, over the next five years and, and continuing that growth pattern, um, capitalizing on 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 the opportunities we've had during COVID and pre-COVID, uh, but taking it to that next level, looking at what can we now do differently? What can we, how can we put our Revelop spin, our Revelop flavor um, on another sector potentially? We're investigating you know, other sectors um, across the markets and, and that we're not very strong in at the moment, whether it be industrial or, or to an extent office, uh, we'd look to increase our, our gains there as well. So lots of growth, but also um, a lot of capitalization on, on the growth that's happened to date. And, um, and hopefully uh, in the next five years, we look back and we're as excited about those five years as we have been about the five years that have just passed. Shabelle Hazuri and Anthony L. Hazuri, joint founders and directors of Revelop. Thanks for your time this morning. Pleasure chatting with you and look forward to seeing what that next growth phase looks like for you and the business. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Thanks Rob. Rob.